Hey everyone, Jordan here. We're finally at our season finale, and I would like to thank everyone who has been a part of this podcast, including Dakota White, DJ Van Scotter, and my best friend, TJ Richardson. We'll be back in about a month or two with the second season. And if you wanted to listen to another podcast, and if you're a fan of Dungeons and Dragons, then listen to 5E and Me, which is hosted by the guy I just mentioned, Dakota White. He'll be breaking down the fifth edition of D&D for those who might be curious and want to give a shot of Dungeons and Dragons. Once again, that's 5E and Me, and it's available in all podcast streaming services. And... This season finale contains strong language and graphic details of violence. Enjoy. Hello, friends. I hope you're still staying safe during this pandemic, and I hope you had a wonderful Easter. But I would like to let you know that I'll be going away for quite some time. But please don't fret, as I'll be back in about a month or two. I'm dealing with some work-related problems. But... Before I leave, let's listen to these lovely stories. So if you're ready, then here we go. So the first story of the day was written and narrated by DJ Van Scotter. And he'll be bringing some friends of his own. Dakota White, Lily C, and Kid Knight. And this story is titled The Lake. It was a hot and musty summer that year. The kids were almost always playing in or around a water source of some kind. Just about any would do. They certainly were not picky. Even the off-limits lake where the local chemical plant dumped its waste was fair game. As long as it stayed hot, kids were gonna find a way to cool off. Our story centers around three friends, Chet, Rachel, and Darren. The three of them were close, had been since kindergarten. 
They had all moved here around the same time, in fact. They started late in the year, all in the same week. They never had that awkward new kid stage because they were all new at the same time, so they just made their own click. Anyway, that's enough of the pleasantries. Let's get into the meat of the matter. Just bear in mind, this is a grim one. No happy ending here. Fuck! This place is at capacity too. Well, guess we gotta go try someplace else. Man, we've already been to like three different spots today. I'm starting to think ain't no place not crammed. Alright, alright, fuck. Just let me think for a second. Oh, there's that lake out by the chemical plant. Oh, right. It must be spawning season. And you gotta go back to where you was born, right? Rachel restrained a snort of laughter. First of all, fuck you. Secondly, you know I wasn't born here. We all moved here at the same time. Seriously though, is that spot even safe? My parents have complained about waste dumping or whatever there. Something about how the plant is paying off the mayor and the city council to look the other way? Or whatever dumb political crap. That's probably just goofy conspiracy theory shit, Rachel. You know your parents are whack. Hitting that good cush a little too hard, you know what I'm saying? Rachel slugged Darren broadly across his shoulder with fierce intent. They used to, okay? How many times do I have to tell you that? Used to. They don't do drugs anymore. <clears throat> Weed isn't a drug. It's an herb. Shut up! Okay, okay, but look, even if it's all fucked up, the lake is huge. It can't all be fucked up, right? Like, maybe we can find a clean-ish corner of the lake all to ourselves. That's some real pioneer shit. Man, this some dumb shit for sure. <laughs> but fuck it. I guess we ain't gonna know one way or the other until we go peep it for ourselves. Shotgun! Oh, damn it! The three of them got in Darren's car and started driving out to the lake by the chemical plant. It was a fairly long drive, about 45 minutes out of town. Really deep into the woods, lots of trees sparsely populated by the odd summer home or rich folk cabin that they hardly use. Eventually, about five minutes out from the lake, the gang pulled up to a road close sign. Aw, oh, fuck me, man. We can't catch a break for shit today, wasting my damn gas. And for what? Hoops after hoops after hoops. We could just walk the rest of the way. Well, we've come way too far to turn back now. And this AC wasn't doing us any favors. I'm still sweating my ass off back here. <laughs> Look, man, you want to fucking load me up on Freon and fix my shit? Be my guest. But I ain't got that kind of scratch right now. You two can sit here bickering while you melt away. I'm going to go find a place to cool off. She opened the door and began walking towards the sign. Darren looked back at Chet, sucked his teeth, and got out of the car. Chet followed shortly after, somewhat apprehensive, but not one to be left behind. It was, after all, his idea. The trio made their way along the road to the lake suffering the heat of the seemingly relentless sun. You know, we probably ain't even gonna dip our toes in before dark. That'll be just our luck. You better shut up about that. We're frickin' swimming, one way or another. I don't care if the water's frozen over by then. If it takes that long, we might as well build a home out here. The group laughed initially at the absurdity of it all, but seemed to pause as if to reflect, as to consider if that maybe wasn't such a bad idea. 
As the group walked along the road, they came upon a shorter driveway, shorter than most in the area anyway, where the house was actually visible from the street. Whoa, what's with the police tape? Gazing dumbstruck at what appeared to be a crime scene at the home, the trio looked over the details of the scene. Every window visible on the first floor of the house seemed to have been shattered or penetrated, with holes roughly the size of a person. The second story had only one window, but it too had a single hole in it, of the same size and shape. The stranger part was that the area of the roofing just outside the window seemed to be depressed and damaged, as if a large tree had fallen onto the house and been moved away. There were three vehicles at the scene, a blue sedan and two police cruisers. The sedan had been crushed and again had the same holes in the window on the driver's side as well as the passenger side. One of the police cruisers also had holes on both windows and was near the road as if it had been moving away from the house but simply rolled to a stop. The second cruiser, or perhaps the first if going on order of arrival, was completely flipped over with all the windows smashed and a fair amount of blood soaked into the dirt near the driver's side. What the fucking fuck, man? Okay, my parents know everything going on around here. And I sure as heck didn't hear them talk about this. I mean, maybe it was recent. If it was recent, then where the hell are all the cops? And why does it look like one was killed? Who kills a cop? Calm down, man. I'm sure there's more cruisers on the way. Maybe even an ambulance, too. Maybe we should get back in their car and go home. We don't want to look like suspects for something like this. Three teens out in the middle of the woods, at some rich folks' home, past a road close sign? That's not a good look. I think you're right. We ought to go. Yeah, for real. I ain't gonna argue with that. Let's get the hell out of here. The trio began walking back to the car. At this point, the sun setting against their backs, the sky brimming with a warm orange slashed by bits of pink as another day came to an end. As Darren, leading the group, crested over the small rise in the road before reaching the road close sign, the sounds of mechanical scraping and crunching of metal could be heard. Darren winced his eyes for a better look towards his car and could see smoke. My car! Darren, wait! Darren suddenly stopped. He had been at a dead sprint. His grandmother had saved money ever since he was born to buy him that car for his 16th birthday. And he would have killed anyone who would do harm unto it. But he had stopped dead in his tracks. All momentum, all emotion, all motivation fled from his being. On top of his car, forcing the vehicle into the road with an immense girth, was a giant frog, yellowish green with tomato red eyes and black slits for pupils, staring directly at Darren. The frog had been perched comfortably on the vehicle, likely enjoying the warmth of the engine but as Darren had approached, it had pivoted to face him and perked up. Darren, run! It was, however, too late. The frog leapt from the car towards Darren, closing the gap of more than 30 yards in an instant. Before he could run, before he could move, before he could even react, the frog had landed in front of Darren and pulled his upper torso into its gaping maw. Darren's legs were flailing frantically, as the frog stared coldly, emotionless, at Chet and Rachel. In an instant, the frog seemed to snap its jaws shut, 
and Darren's legs went limp right before they disappeared into the frog, slurped up like two denim-clad noodles. A visceral snapping could be heard. Even from where Chet and Rachel stood, a muffled sound of wet crunching. Darren was surely dead. No! He's, he's dead. We, we have to run. Chet grabbed Rachel's arm and pulled her as he ran. She seemed to resist, but her feet moved anyway, as if her emotions had her in shock, but her instincts were willing to flee. The frog took two quick hops and had already closed half the distance between itself and the team. Chet and Rachel were in a dead sprint at this point. Anything slower than the very fastest they could move would mean certain death, and even then, it might not be enough. The frog took one more smaller hop towards the teens, before perking up slightly and pivoting to face the woods. The teens stopped just before the briefest moment to see why it had stopped. The frog hissed at the woods, and within the same second, a massive snake launched from the forest like a bolt of lightning. Latching onto the top of the frog in its eyes and coiling around it, the two abominations were locked in a death battle, and the teens were quick to take advantage. Chet and Rachel ran and ran and ran all night. Neither spoke a word, and the only sounds either could hear were their footsteps against the road, their labored breaths, and the loudest of all, their heartbeats, threatening to escape their ribs with an intensity only the most primal of fears could invoke. Eventually, the road ended at an open gate that led down a well-maintained private road leading to the chemical plant. Maybe, maybe we'll be safe in there. It's a big plant and I'm sure they have decent security. They're the biggest business in the whole state. Rachel nodded, not as if to agree, but as if to accept any amount of hope offered to her. The two had slowed to a brisk jog, still not ready to relax but also too tired to continue the sprint they had been maintaining. As they approached the factory, the pieces of the puzzle started to reveal themselves, as it was clear the plant had been compromised. The entire east-facing side of the plant had seemingly exploded, with shrapnel and jagged and melted metal everywhere. From this opening in the factory, a blatant wave of chemicals had crashed out of the factory and into the nearby lake which was only about 60 feet from the plant itself. Some of the chemicals were still trickling out, despite clear signs that this event had occurred quite some time ago, perhaps months even. Rachel crashed to her knees, openly sobbing. Chet knelt down to comfort her, placing his hand on her shoulder, but it was no comfort at all, as he too knew just how grim their situation was. Just before he could feel the existential dread pouring over him, Chet's eyes gravitated towards what looked like a smaller receiving building with clear access doors large enough for freight trucks to enter and exit. Maybe there's a truck in there, big enough to ram through if we need to. Rachel! What? She had turned to face him, her face flushed, her eyes red from crying, and her nose dripping uncontrollably. I'm a virgin, Chet. I haven't had sex. I haven't been to college. I haven't been to Paris. I haven't been to a concert. I haven't graduated. I don't even have my license. And now I'm going to get frickin' eaten by some stupid, slimy, effin' monster. Chet summoned what remained of his courage and composure. We're not dead yet. We can still make it out of this. But we have to move. No one is coming to save us. 
Rachel looked solemnly at the ground and stared for a moment, before putting a defiant fist down and using it to help her get to her feet. She began walking briskly towards the receiving building, having found some new untapped vigor. Chet chased after her, following closely at her heels, and checking back to the road, anticipating certain doom. Pear reached the main office door, still illuminated by an overhead light. The whole factory probably ran on its own grid, and with that kind of money invested in this plant, it wasn't surprising there were backup generators set up as contingency plans. Who knows how long they'd been running, though. Rachel tried to open the door, but it was locked. She began walking around the side of the building, looking for another entrance. Hold up. Maybe I can pick it. I keep an unfolded paperclip in the brim of my hat. <laughs> my dad taught me how- yeah. Crash of glass breaking cut him off as Rachel used a rock to clear away the rest of the glass from the office window before pulling herself up and through it. Chet's jaw was still agape from the unspoken word he had been hanging on when the door in front of him was unlocked and opened, Rachel glaring at him. Come on! Chet followed through the door and closed it behind him, making sure it was sealed, as if somehow a closed door could stop any of the horrors out there. Rachel led him to the receiving area, and sure enough, fortune smiled upon them and there was indeed a freight truck parked in the loading area. The two searched around for a bit, surveying the area. It seemed strange that no one had tried to take the truck and flee. After all, there were no other vehicles outside. The entire employee parking lot was entirely empty, save for skid marks where rubber had burned while employees raced away from the factory. Maybe there's some food or something in this freight shipment. Chet opened the loading door to the cargo hold and audibly gasped when enough light had poured through to view inside. At least eight bodies, bound and gagged, were all propped up against the back wall of the hold, each with a single bullet wound in the very center of the forehead. They were all seated on tarp, as if this was completely deliberate, and the assailant was somehow concerned for the state of the flooring. Before he could utter a word, Rachel grabbed the pull strap and slammed the door closed. Stinks. Chet hadn't noticed, but she was right. The bodies had definitely caused a seriously offensive odor to accumulate in the cargo. Rachel opened the door to the truck and pulled herself up to the driver's seat. Unlocked at least. Chet walked around to the passenger door and pulled himself up and into the seat. Rachel flipped the visor down to have the keys fall out and onto her lap. Jackpot. She turned to face Chet, a smile threatening to paint across her face, vanishing almost instantly. One of us is going to have to open the loading door. Chet was frozen for the moment, as if unable to understand the words being spoken to him. Rachel sighed and bowed her head slightly. <laughs> okay, let me be clearer. You have to open the loading door because I'm driving. Chet snapped out of his stupor and crawled back out of the truck. As he walked to the terminal, he could hear the roar of the engine start up as Rachel fired the ignition. He found a simple lever to open the door and when he flipped it, an electrical whirring began as the doors started to raise. Chet jogged briskly back to the truck and jumped back inside, closing the door to the cab quickly behind him. Rachel flicked on the headlights at first, but as the door opened enough to see outside, she clicked once more to activate the high beams. Outside, near the bank of the lake they were facing towards, the headlights now illuminated four giant frogs savagely eating away at the belly of what looked like a massive trout. Their translucent, slender fangs tinted red with blood as they voraciously tore away at the flesh of the fish. In an instant, they had all turned to face the truck, 
ceasing their feast without hesitation. Drive! Rachel pushed in on the clutch, put the truck in gear, and floored the gas pedal. Ripping out of the loading bay and into the night, two of the frogs leapt atop the cargo, pinning it for the briefest moment. But Rachel turned sharply, jackknifing the cargo and freeing the truck of its weight. She shifted gears as she felt the engine chug in first gear, and again shortly after, picking up speed. Chet looked into the side mirror on the passenger side, glimpsing in horror at the sight of four giant frogs leaping over one another, rapidly gaining on the truck. We have to go faster, we have to go faster, they're gonna catch us! I know! Rachel shifted gears again, losing speed momentarily. In that moment of lost speed, one of the frogs tumbled over the cab of the truck, as if it had been mid-jump and failed to anticipate the sudden loss of speed. Rachel swerved around it as it flailed helplessly on its back, injured from the impact with the truck. Chet looked in his mirror once more to see two of the frogs eating the injured frog, while a third persisted after the truck. Look around behind the seats. Try and find a gun. Chet began searching underneath his seat. Then behind him, he found a pry bar, but figured that wasn't any good here. After almost giving up, he noticed the wooden pistol grip of a 12-gauge shotgun in the door of the driver's side. You've got a shotgun next to you, on your left. Rachel glanced down to spy the shotgun out of the corner of her eye. She reached for it without taking her eyes off the road and handed it to Chet. Chet racked the pump action and a shell was ejected into the back seat. He had never even held a gun before, much less used one. He only knew to rack the slide because of how iconic the action had become in movies and video games. Careful! We might need that. Every shot counts. Chet set the shotgun between his legs and bent over the center console once more to reach into the back seat to grab the shell. He found it on the floor and sat back upright, smiling at Rachel. <clears throat> hey, I got it! Rachel looked over at him to return his smile, but just before she could force it, the glass of the passenger side door shattered inward. A long, pink, slimy tongue found purchase on Chet's cheek and ripped him against the broken glass and out of the vehicle. Rachel looked in the mirror in horror as two frogs fought over Chet, his frantic dying screams piercing the roar of the engine as he was pulled apart, his intestines being pulled taut in a macabre game of tug-of-war between the two frogs. Rachel shifted once more, with the road close sign up ahead and Darren's smashed car slightly ahead of it. She broke through the sign and swerved around Darren's car, looking back in the mirror to watch it fade away into the dark of the night. She kept checking her mirror for the next minute or two, making sure the frogs weren't still following, before crying, letting the tragedy and trauma of the whole experience begin to wash over her once more, as she drove the rest of the way back to town. The company that owned the chemical plant paid hush money to the families of Chet and Darren, as well as the police department, and the local news never aired any stories about the plant or the homes along the road. A lawyer representing the chemical company offered Rachel a large sum of money in exchange for an NDA, and her promise to move out of the town. However, she refused and was admitted to the local psych ward, having the entirety of her story ultimately swept under the rug and the deaths of her two closest friends openly denied even by their own families.
Oh, Lord. I bet you kids would not want to get near any frogs after hearing that story. <laughs> so the second and final tale was written and narrated by T.J. Richardson, which some other prisoners will be joining as well. Dakota White, D.J. Van Scotter, that prisoner Jordan, Lacey Richardson, and my favorite British prisoner, Nico Wonderdust. And this story is titled, Bound by Blood. Chase, go talk to the building manager and see what he's got to say. I'll go talk to the officers and see what they know. It's been a long damn month. I've been a detective for five years now, and an officer of the law for a handful before that. And in all that time, I haven't seen carnage like this. This last month's been full of bodies. Some sick bastard of bastards has been running around this city and killing its inhabitants in some ritualistic manner. Officer. What's the situation? Same as the last? Hey Red, same shit as before. Three victims all without their heads. Bodies have been completely drained of blood. Sick fucks if you ask me, detective. Thank you, officer. I'll take it from here. I walk over to my partner, who's talking to the building manager. The manager looks like hell, understandably, from when he walked into this morning. Hello, sir. I'm Detective Shields. I believe you've met my partner, Detective Winters. Did you see anything out of the ordinary this morning, sir? Out of the ordinary? I got three of my tenants without their fucking heads. You tell me. I'm sorry, sir. I'm sure this is a lot for you, but please try to think. Anything that seemed off to you besides the obvious? Well, I overheard one of the medics saying that one of the tenants must be a druggie. Said he saw some track marks on the man which seemed off because he didn't really seem to type. Hmm. Well, thank you, sir. Chase and I walked back to the car and started off for the morgue. So, uh, what you thinking, Red? Drug deal gone sideways? I'm not sure, Chase. Something's off. Even if it was that, why remove the heads and drain the blood? Makes no damn sense. We'll just look what the corners got when we go. Yeah, Red. Uh, gonna be alright doing this. You know. If the airport rose. I sat silent for a moment, the pain sneaking its way back in. My niece, Rose, was a receptionist at a morgue in a town that suffered a horrible chemical plant accident. No survivors. The remains of those who perished in the accident were so contaminated that we couldn't even see their remains. I'll be fine, Chase. It's been a year. Yeah, no. Just sucks that a damn company Rolodex couldn't even let you see you. Yeah, well, they were just following protocol, or so they said. We arrived at the morgue to discuss the findings with the coroner. The coroner was examining one of the corpses when we arrived. Hello, detectives. Glad you're here. Found something interesting on one of the bodies today. 
We found what we thought was a track mark, but now I'm not so sure. The hole is too large for that of a syringe. Also, it did take some deep examining, but there's another mark where the head was lopped off. Interesting. You think maybe the fatal wound was near the higher part of the neck, and the removal of the heads is to cover up that bit of information? Possibly, but I can't say for sure. It does look like the cut was made lower on the neck than necessary. I'll examine more of the corpses and see if I can find similar- Hey, Red! You're gonna want to hear this! We have to go! We got back into the car and Chase put his phone on speaker and played for me the horrible call. 911, what's your emergency? Hello? Someone there? Please, you have to help me. He's trying to get me. He's gonna kill me. Please, please. Ma'am, what's your address? It's 712 Oak Drive. Please, you have to hurry. Oh no. Oh god, please no, leave me alone! What the hell? You think that's our killer? That's what I think, yeah. It's around the other kills. I'm driving us there now. Be ready. Who knows what this sick fuck's got planned? We made it to the address, and we opened the front door. We could hear movement upstairs. Chase and I ran up the stairs and walked into a horror show. There was a man standing upon a woman who had her throat ripped open. The man was in the middle of sawing off the poor woman's head. He turned to us and stared at us with bright yellow eyes. His face was covered in blood, like he was feasting on the woman. Put your hands up! You're under arrest! Without missing a beat, the murderer sprinted at us with inhuman speed and chucked Chase against a wall. I aimed my pistol and put three rounds into the fucker's chest. He turned to me and stared at me. His yellow eyes filled with blood and he smiled. He rushed me and kicked me in the chest, which sent me flying into the wall. It felt like I had been hit by a truck. He then walked back over to Chase and bit into his neck. Chase screamed in pain. I got up and rammed into the bastard as hard as I could. He fell over and he got up and took off. Before I could even get a second look, the bastard was gone. Chase was grabbing his throat and applying pressure. Don't worry, brother. I've got a bus. Help is on the way. I held pressure on his neck as we waited for the ambulance when I noticed a card lying on the floor. I picked it up and saw the ID was of our suspect, Craig Mathers, residing at 1134 17th Street. The ambulance arrived and we picked up Chase and I took off to the murderer's address. I pulled up to the house and saw the place was a dump, for clothes sign on the door. I went to the back door and pried the door open and snuck in. The house was empty. Just a destroyed home with ripped up carpets and stained walls. Not an ounce of evidence anywhere in the whole damned house. As I was about to leave, I felt a draft coming up from one of the floorboards. I pulled it up to reveal a cellar door. I opened it up and a horrible stench wafted up from the dark layer. I walked down the stairs, my flashlight illuminating the narrow passage for me. I turned the corner and saw a den of evil and fear. There were bodies hanging from the ceiling. Their bodies ripped open. Lab equipment hooked up to their bodies, slowly draining the blood from them. I walked in between the bodies to go further into the room. Suddenly, one of the bodies reached out and grabbed me. Their body was split open from neck to navel, and I could see the poor bastard's heart beating in his open chest. Help me. 
see fear and despair in the eyes of the cadaver. I fell back and hit a wall, looking up at the wall of bodies being drained. They were alive, slowly being drained of all their blood. I crawled along the wall until I found a door and opened it. I came into a room filled with science books and more lab equipment. As I looked around the room, I saw an empty vial. I picked up the vial and read the label. Rolodox. What the hell? What do these bastards have to do with this? They're selling us a miracle, sure, detective. They're making us immortal. Mathers, you sick fuck. What the hell is going on here? I was sick, detective. Brain cancer. Looked through all my options, and eventually, Rolodox found me. I was to be the first patient in a miracle cure. All I had to do was take the meds from that vial, and I'd be better than ever. So how does that lead to beheading innocent people, drinking their blood and running a damn blood bank in the crack house basement? Well, the good people at Rolodox forgot to mention the side effects. Craving human blood. Needing to feed every goddamn day. So you're saying you turn into a vampire? Really matters. Vampire. Living dead. Bloodsucker. Whatever you want to call it. I know it's hard to believe, but think about it, detective. You put three shots into my chest, and I didn't even budge. I tossed you and your partner around like ragdolls with unbelievable speed and strength. I'm evolved, the next step in our evolutionary process. You're a madman. I'm gonna take your crazy ass in, and then I'm gonna bring in those Rolodox fucks for their involvement in this. Well, detective, good luck. Just then Mathers rushed me and kicked me into the wall. I pulled out my pistol and put another three rounds on the bastard. Two in the chest and one in the head, and the bastard just shook it off, knocked the gun out of my hand, and threw me through a wooden door, back into the room with the living blood banks. They all started whispering and moaning. Help us! Help us! I got up and felt a sharp pain in my shoulder. I looked down to see a piece of the wooden door embedded in it. Mathers walked into the room, blood filling his eyes. Those yellow pupils shining through, a devil's grin on his face, a row of razor-sharp teeth lined it. Shame you had to die, detective. You've proven yourself quite an asset. It's alright. I've got your partner now. My partner? The fuck did you do to him, Mathers? We're bound by blood. I'd like to explain more, but I've got places to be. Goodbye, Detective. Mothers lunged for me and sent us both flying across the room. He pinned me down and opened his mouth to reveal a mouth full of razor-sharp teeth. Right before he bit into me, I pulled the wooden shard from my shoulder and I shoved it into his chest, piercing his heart. He fell back, a demon scream escaping his body. Blood started pouring out of his eyes and his mouth. His body started to burn 
flames started ripping away flesh from his bones. He ran around lighting the poor bastards in the room on fire, and the room itself caught a flame. I tried to get out of the cellar, but a wooden beam fell down and knocked me down. I slowly slipped into the darkness, then nothing. Wake up, detective. We have so much to discuss. I opened my eyes to see a man in a lab coat sitting across from me. A guard next to him and another sitting next to me. My hands tied behind my back. What the hell is going on here? Hello, detective. I am Dr. Sharp, head of the research facility for Rolodox. Rolodox? You sick bastards! What's going on here? I'm gonna kill you! Please, detective. Allow me to explain. We here at Rolodox are working on the next step in our evolutionary process. We thought we had made a major step towards our goal, but your actions showed us otherwise. So I guess a thank you is in order. So that chemical plant cleanup? Another one of your experiments? My niece died for one of your sick games. I'm gonna kill you, Sharp. We do this for all mankind, detective. She died for the future. You'll see. We're taking you to our lab now. You will see firsthand of what we are doing. I looked around the van and knew what I had to do. I headbutted the good doctor and put a boot in the face of the guard across from me. The guard next to me went to grab me and I shouldered him into the door. I finally untied my ropes and I grabbed the gun off the guard next to me. I put a round through his skull and another shot through the other guards. I aimed for the doctor, but he moved last second, and the bullet hit the driver, killing him instantly. The van started to shake, and we crashed off the side of the road. I woke up inside the van. No sign of the doctor. I saw a blood trail leaving the van. I climbed out of the wreckage to see the doctor hobbling along the shore. We had crashed somewhere along the coast. I aligned the side of the guard's rifle and put a round through the doctor's good leg. He dropped to the ground with a scream. I walked up to see the doctor was covered in cuts and bruises. His nose broken, slashes from the glass on his face. Oh, you ignorant ape. You haven't changed a damn thing. You think kill me accomplishes anything? I'm just one of the member of an organization meant to bring this world to the next level. You accomplish nothing. That may be so, Doc. But killing you is going to make me feel a whole lot better. Detective, wait! I found a gas station in the distance and walked there to use their phone. I knew if I could call Chase, he'd come to get me and help me out of this madness. I walked into the store to see an older gentleman at the counter. I looked at the man's name tag and tried to greet him politely. Excuse me, um, Grimsby, do you mind if I use your phone? Of course, sir. I am happy to help. I took up the phone and called Chase. 
Chase, listen to me. I need you to come grab me. I'm at a gas station. I'm sorry, Red. I, I really am. But I can't. Things have changed. That bite, it changed me. I thought I could control it, but I can't. The need for blood is too great. Chase! Chase! Oh no, god damn it! I hung up the phone and stood there in shock. You okay, sir? May I be some of assistance? Thank you, but no. I have work to do. I've got to go see an old friend off. Well, if that is all, I'll be closing up. I have more business to attend to. I walked out of the gas station and headed out. A new purpose flowing through my veins. Well, hello, my dear friends. Who's ready for more stories? We've read all of your stories, you sick bastard. We are done. Now, now let us out of here. <laughs> oh, my dear prisoner. This isn't my only chambers. This is one of my many chambers. I have plenty more in store for you. Let's the season finale thank you for listening to our stories and we'll be back here soon and when we're ready we'll come